Hey there, everybody, and welcome to episode five of the My Friends Are Amazing podcast. Just a reminder that you can find episodes of this podcast and all the other ones on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. I actually think they're on many more, but I don't really know all their names. Anyway, please search for My Friends Are Amazing on any of the major podcast networks, and please give me a subscribe. In podcast news this week, I think I'm going to actually be recording two guests today, not at the same time, but one today, right now, and then another one later tonight. I won't release both at the same time, but I'm super excited to record two in one day. So this uh, actually is the new evolution, and I think I'm going to actually get to use my remote Zoom recorder for the in-person interview that I'm going to do later today. Today's podcast is brought to you by Social Imposter, reputation management for social networking profiles. If you're used to hearing to the podcast, you know I'm going to say, but Bob, what are you talking about? What the heck does all this mean? Well, let me tell you what Social Imposter is. Social Imposter is a customized service utilizing proprietary technology that finds and mitigates the removal of fake social network pages on behalf of high-profile brands, actors, athletes, models, musicians, politicians, military officers, business people, members of the clergy, and their management teams. So basically, if you have a social media page that uh, represents you or your brand, uh, and there might be people out there uh, impersonating you and doing awful things in the name of your personal identity or your brand, you need to look to the people at Social Imposter. A huge thanks to Social Imposter for being my first podcast sponsor, and be sure to check them out at socialimposter.com. And that's imposter, I-M-P-O-S-T-O-R.com. Today's guest is Erica Quisenberry, and the bio that she sent me reads as follows. Erica saves her pennies to travel the world, see new things, experience new cultures, hike new terrain, meet new people, and understand new perspectives. It makes her uncomfortable, and she loves it. Aside from traveling, she's obsessed with podcasts. Well, that's good, because she's going to be on this one. Plant-based eating, craft cocktails, mm, being out in nature, and making things from scratch. To fund her travels and various hobbies, Erica owns and operates her own company, Studio Red Designs, where she works as a UX UI consultant, partnering with companies, agencies, and developers all over the world to craft digital solutions that align business goals with user goals to achieve maximum results. She's the co-founder or she's, she is a co-founder of Script, an online Umbraco community magazine. And she's also a 2016 Umbraco MVP winner and a certified Umbraco expert. She's a huge advocate for decreasing the gender gap in the tech industry. And that is definitely something that we're going to discuss in the podcast today. So without further ado, Erica Quessenberry. Hey, Erica, how's it going? Hey, it's going pretty well. How are you? I'm doing really well. Uh, first of all, thanks for being on the show. This is uh, very amazing to have people. I think I'm batting a thousand when I ask people, they say yes. So <laughs> that's awesome. Looking, looking forward to that first no, just to see how I take that rejection. But uh, right. so far, so good. Yeah, um, I, don't, I don't think at, that you're going to get a no, to be honest. I think people well, it's, are quite excited about the opportunity to be on a podcast. So, I got a I got a hard maybe by this guy that I'm going to try to rope into recording later tonight. So we'll see oh. how that goes. But oh, uh, right. yeah, and he's actually local, so he's kind of ditching me like very hard local. Right. Oh, <laughs> well, maybe he'll come through. It'll be good. 
Yeah. So, all right. Before we talked today, you had mentioned that you were doing some emergency tech support for your dad. Is that right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He um he calls when he can't get his computer to work, and I'm like, Dad, I'm not a hardware person, so. Uh, yeah. Anyway. I guess so, did you blow him off, or or did you fix it? No, I don't. I don't. I don't know what's wrong with it. He was trying to do an upgrade on his his Mac and it failed like mid process. And now he just gets a black screen and nothing happened. So I was like, Hey, try this. That's all I know. And that didn't work. So I was like, Hey, how about you call those nice guys at Apple? Ask them. So that doesn't sound like a very Mac thing. I thought it just works. I know it does. I've never ever, Oh, I need some wood to knock on. Okay. I've never ever had a problem with my Mac and I've been on a Mac for, I don't know, 15 years maybe. So I, I'm kind of at a loss. And I'm, mo- I'm mostly kidding when I say that. Um, I started on a Mac years and years and years and years ago. So we yeah. actually we actually had some of the uh, when Mac like open source their their platform uh, power power systems or something like that. I can't remember what they were. They were like off brand Macintosh, which was weird. So hmm. you were probably not even doing this stuff when that happened. Uh, probably not. I don't, uh, our first computer when I was little was, was a Macintosh. I do remember that. Played lots what, of Oregon Trail. Does was that it, date me? Probably, that probably dates me. Was it an <laughs> iMac though or was it like a Mac Classic with the tiny little screen? I think it was a Mac Classic with the oh, tiny wow. little screen. I, I just, I don't have like strong memories of it, but I have some memories. Of it. I'm not, I'm not a big enough computer nerd, I don't think, to like recall I don't know. I read some people's writings or whatever, and they know the name and the brand and the year and the serial number of every computer they've ever had. And I'm like, whoa, (laughs) that I don't know. Yeah, I'm not quite into that either. (laughs) Yeah. So you do work in tech, though. I mean, is that fair to say? I do. Do we call Uh, it tech? Okay. So tell everybody what it is you do. Um, I am a UX UI uh, consultant, mostly for the web um, and anything web related or app related. Um, And what that means is I um, work very closely with businesses um, around the world um, and figure out what their business goals are and how they want to grow. And then we do exercises to um, figure out their target audience, um, who they currently are, who they want them to be, and how do we... um, well, and what that target audience wants to achieve on the website or with the app, and and how do we align that with the business goals um, to up their ROI? So uh, that is what I do, kind of in a nutshell. <laughs> All right. So before we dive into like how long can you? So and this is actually a little bit for me too, and it's an ongoing conversation that I've been part of and can't contribute to very much. What is the difference, mm-hmm. or what is UX UI like? <laughs> Oh, um, to me, they kind of all blur together, but they are different disciplines. Like UI, user interface, um, kind of falls under UX, which is the user experience. Um, so user experience is more like um, the user's, not only their journey through your website or your app or something like that, but it's the emotions that it evokes and, and kind of how you feel when you're interacting with it and just kind of entails the whole experience. Whereas the UI is, is um, more of the um, interface. It's the design, the colors, the typography, which again lends back to the experience that you have on the site. So um, I 
started out in UI um, before user experience became that much of a thing a few years back and then um, have kind of morphed into both. Um, and because I've worked at a very small agency before and um, I freelance now, um, I, I do both. I've never been able to work as a separate discipline in that um well, I, I suppose unless end client hires me to just do UI and they won't listen to me when they when I tell them they actually need both. <laughs> so, um, yes. So when someone hires you for UI, I mean, is that am I like in a layman's term? Are they hiring you to do the design of the site, like the visual design? Yeah, and that's those are the projects that I struggle the most on because they usually come to me with not a lot of assets, and they go, "Just make me something awesome," and I'm like, "I don't even know what that means." You know, like how do you <laughs> how do you how do you design a website if you have no background on it you know like I don't I don't know what the goals of the site are how do I make it awesome you know so I I I don't know but there are sites out there like I spend a ridiculous amount of time looking at um new sites um and whatever the different trends going on and and there are some sites that I hit and I'm like this is beautiful and then you try to start using it and you're like good no idea what's going on (laughs) so um there definitely are some very strong UI designers out there let's just put it that way (laughs) what would you say and where I'm deviating here so like what would you say are some of the strongest sites out there when it well I guess you'd have to know about the users to be able to comment on the user experience see that's the hard part yeah it it is really hard because there's like I really like to do um, um, data driven designs, but a lot of people don't have enough data collected, um, and they're not willing to spend a week collecting data and doing um, user interviews and stuff like that. And and I find that really frustrating too because they think of it as an added expense, where actually it tends to cut expenses in the long run because you're not having to do so many redos as you're designing and building out the site, if that makes sense, because you're basing your decisions off the data that you've already collected. Um, So if I'm not able to do that on a project, I try to at least follow best practices. But again, that's hard because what might work well for Amazon might not work well for somebody else's e-commerce store or, or what might work well for Facebook might not work well for some other kind of community chat platform or whatever. And speaking of Facebook, it's really interesting. Like uh, maybe I shouldn't even broach this topic because it's, it's kind of a soapbox for me, but, um, the whole whole hamburger (laughs) menu thing, like I, I absolutely hate it. Um, and Facebook to my knowledge is the one that introduced that in their app and they trained billions of people how to use it. And then they decided that wasn't really a great idea. And so they got rid of it. Like you don't see it, you don't see them use it anymore, but like the rest of the world is still using it. Like it's the only solution for a mobile menu. And it just, it drives me crazy. And do I use it? Yes. Because a lot of times it gets mandated on me that that's the way it has to be. But I, I feel like we could be more creative in coming up with navigation solutions if, if we weren't so lazy and just tucked it under that stupid hamburger menu but um so it's examples like that if if you don't want to spend the time researching your own audience and how they respond to your site and you just try to follow best practices and then you latch on to these things that the big companies are doing um but if you watch those big companies they're they're constantly testing and changing um and right. we tend to latch on to one or two things and then it persists in the entire industry and you're just like really <laughs> but anyway not everything 
Right. And not everybody wants to spend the time and the resources to do the, right. you know, to to do the constant evolution, even if it's just following a big, you know, a big fish in right. the pond. You, once, no one ha- can do that, you know, redo at the rates right. that they do. So it's better just to do it on so, your own to begin with. That's my plug for, hey, to your own user research. <laughs> not to focus on the, the hamburger menu, but I mean, so... What in your experience working with people and working with companies, like what alternatives have you explored that have that users have responded well to? Um, uh, that is a good question. I actually am usually off projects before I get to follow up. So I always pitch projects um, like, hey, I want to stay involved and help you measure because we, we always set um, – KPIs, um, key performance indicators and, and goals that we're going to target to make sure this redesign is working. Um, but they usually take that over in-house afterwards. Um, and so I never get to see how they follow up, which is another frustration of mine, um, that they bring me in for such a, uh, small piece of the project and they, they don't let me carry on typically. I mean, they might circle back around in a year and be like, Hey, we, think that we should blah 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 and i'm like okay let's do it so but you're not getting a lot of experience with gathering data like at the beginning stages of projects where you could identify like in the mobile prototype or the you know the mobile view prototype or the mobile view paper that the hamburger menu like you're not finding you know oh wait this one actually performed so much better yeah. and it wasn't a hamburger it was a um not so far i think i'm just going to automatically build that in and when i'm i'm going to cherry pick a project and build that in i actually am working on a project right now we're going to i think uh, we talked about doing some user uh testing on that one so um Hopefully, maybe I can stipulate, like, can we specifically test that hamburger (laughs) icon? Um, But yeah, so if if that actually happens, and that's being controlled by the company, but that feedback loop should get around back around to me on that one. So um, I can hopefully learn from that one how that's going. But um, yeah, it's just it's it's interesting that the industry is shifting this way to data driven design. but it's only larger companies so far that are buying off on that. Um, and maybe the ones funded by venture capital, they're actually doing a lot of that as well. Um, so they're actually interesting. Their websites are interesting to watch and how they, um, evolve for that. But, um, in terms of like the middle size to smaller clients, um, they haven't quite seen, well, maybe they recognize the benefits, but they're not willing to, um, jump on board yet and dive into that themselves. And I, part of me thinks that some of it is they kind of don't want to know. They think, well, this is how I want it done. Um, and so I, I don't want to be told I'm, I'm wrong. Um, I feel like I'm running into that a little bit too. Yeah. Um, I think they don't want to hear the, the cold hard facts that indeed, you know, doing this work up front, could actually prevent you from having to do the once every 18 months to 36 months redesign. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's just interesting. And I'm, I'm learning to pick my battles too, I guess. Um, Cause I get very passionate on some things and some things I'm, I just toss my hands up <laughs> and I'm like, that's oh, not worth it. We'll do it your way. And then when you circle back around to me in a year and say, this isn't working, I'm going to have a little bit of a, I told you so in there, <laughs> but that's the way it goes. So yeah. So what are you doing? Like, how are you as an independent 
business owner and kind of like a, a, a solopreneur, like how are you sourcing business? Like how does that model work for you? Um, that's an interesting question. So I am in year two or did I just start year three? I'm almost in, I've almost completed year two of the freelance thing and it's been kind of a slow ramp up for me. Um, somewhat intentionally because I haven't put a ton of effort into it. I will be honest, but, um, I, have spent the last, I don't know, six or so years building up a pretty solid network of developers. Um, so I feel like in that respect, I've positioned myself fairly well. Um, and so I am leveraging my relationship with those developers, um, to source jobs. So I actually don't, I have maybe like one of the client that I would consider my own, um, and then the rest, I, I either um, partner with larger agencies and I do overflow work for them, um, or I partner with other um, solopreneurs in the development world. And anytime they get a project that needs design, they will tap me um, and then we'll work together on that project. Um, so that's kind of how I'm handling it, I guess. Um, and so far, it's been working out really, really well. Um, for that. So I also like, um, most of these developers come from the Umbraco world where I have spent quite a lot of time, um, uh, learning Umbraco. And, um, I, I also know, um, front end development. I don't do it very often, but I, I do pick up those jobs on occasion as well, because I think it makes me a much better designer if I understand how it all gets put together. And I'm hoping it also means that the developers that I work with, they like me better because I don't do really stupid shit. Right. Um, You're not just like designing and dumping. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Like I understand, like I could code it if I needed to. I don't want to, but I could because I understand how it all gets put together. So hopefully um, that helps them in the long run as well. So, um, yeah, so I just have been um, cultivating my relationships with um, other developers, I guess. And, and a lot of it's word of mouth. Um, That's the best way, uh, honestly. I mean, yeah. And yeah. it's obviously supporting, uh, supporting your lifestyle with all your travels. <laughs> yes. Yes, it definitely does. I, um, my ultimate goal is to be able to work while I travel and I have not mastered that yet. Um, because I get so involved in where I am that I'm like, I don't want to work. So that's <laughs> so, so funny. Cause I was like, that was going to be one of my questions too. So you're telling me like that a lot of the, so Erica's another one of these people that just like Kevin last week, it seems like I see Erica in different parts of the world more so than I would see her like in her part of the, like I've never actually seen Erica in her part of the world, but like, so you're telling me and all that traveling that you do, you're actually just out there traveling. You're not like doing the digital nomad thing. Yes. No, no, I'm not mastered that yet. I hate you I, even more now. Oh, yeah. It's, um, I mean, that, again, that's my ultimate goal, but I get so caught up in like my current location and like, I don't know. I just, I, I am like out all day, either hiking or exploring or chatting with new people, meeting new people. And, and, you know, at night, by the time I get back to wherever I'm staying for the night, I'm just, I'm exhausted. And the last thing I want to do is spend four or five hours on a computer. I just, I just want to go to bed. So, um, yeah, so it's been, you know, it's, it's been, um, 
I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, maybe an unhealthy cycle of frantically working at home for a couple of weeks and really long hours and late nights trying to stay on top of projects and then taking a week plus off to go explore something. So, But are you talking like 20 year, hours or like, I mean, when you say working frantically for, you know, a couple of weeks, I mean, this still sounds pretty like appealing. <laughs> it, it, I could see how some people might be, um, I, but I have a mental capacity and, and I can't, I mean, I can't work 10 hour days every day. I mean, I'm, maybe that doesn't sound like a lot to people, but it's a lot no, to I me. think 10 is a lot, but I can't, I can't even do like, even if I kept it to six or eight hours a day, like I can't even do seven days straight of that. Like my mind just turns to jelly and I'm not, I'm not productive. So like I, and, and I don't know, I'm also a huge introvert. Most people who meet me would not know that because I'm a completely different person when I travel, but like I, and I don't, so I don't know if the introvert thing plays into it, but I just have to like shut down and space out or read a book or watch TV or, or I also do a lot of crafty things as a way to decompress. So, or go for a walk or something. And, and I just can't, I don't know. I just, I can't do that seven days a week, cram it all in thing, but I'm, I'm having to, or, or that's my current struggle because I, I, I am having to do something along those lines because I can't seem to make myself work when I'm traveling. But a wise person recently told me that, um, to do the, digital nomad thing better you have to be in a location for like a month and i have only been doing like a week to two weeks at a time so and you and i were talking about I think you and I, I were talking about you're gonna try to maybe test that soon is that right yes yeah i mean hopefully i'm hopefully i will follow through on this and just not be all talk but um there is an umbraco festival spinning up in australia in february next year. And so I was thinking, I went to Australia and New Zealand last year and I absolutely loved it. So I was thinking maybe I'd go for like a month or something, maybe longer. I don't know. But my current mental thought is a month in either Australia or New Zealand, catch the festival, um, and, and see, but, but my deal with myself is if I do that, like I have to pick one location and stay there for the entire month. Like I can't, jump cities. I mean, I could do day trips or weekend trips or whatever, but like, I actually have to like find a place to stay there and work and not just be out every day or, or constantly moving locations. So, and I'll see if that works better, but yeah. So I, that's my current. And probably if you, probably if you were staying that thing. long, you'd probably have to work to get a little bit of an influx of cash while you were there. <laughs> Well, exactly. Exactly. So, and, and I think that's the other thing is when I travel, I'm usually on the go a lot. Um, so when you're, when you're staying in a new place every night or every other night, cause you're moving about, like it's, that's also exhausting in itself. So if I, if I just, if I rented a apartment or a flat or a room or something for like a month and I'm like, this is it, this is me I'm living here. So hopefully I would, Hello? well, I probably, I, it seems more feasible to, to buckle down and work at that point. But and that one, then again, who and knows? that one's in February, right? Because I'd be, yes. Yeah. So would you go like a half month before, or would you like, do you think festival at Thailand, festival know. beginning, I, festival middle? Oh, I don't, I hadn't thought that far in advance. When is it? A, is I think it was end of end February. February right? Yeah. Um, 
You know, I would probably go early February because it's, I live in the Pacific Northwest and it's just January, February, just <laughs> depressing. So, and it would be summer yes. down in the Southern hemisphere. So yeah, I would probably want to get out. Um, yeah. It's a- so funny because one of my show notes says, you know, how far out do you plan your trips? And it doesn't sound like you plan them out very far in advance. Not very. <laughs> no. So the UK. So I also went to the UK like Kevin and, and Bob did. And um, I let's see, when was a festival? November 4th. I think I bought my plane tickets on October 13th, maybe. That's not too so, bad. I think I was, was just a little bit earlier in October. A couple weeks. Oh, Okay. I thought that was pretty close, but I just, I couldn't make up my mind if I wanted to spend all that money to go all the way over there. It's such a long flight, but I also stayed longer. I stayed almost two weeks because I just, I can't face that flight that soon. (laughs) So, so that was the main motivator. So we really, I, so I saw you for almost seven days and then you went farther north. Is that right? Yes. So actually one of my projects right now, I'm working with um, a small agency and they um, are, well, it's actually, they're a completely remote team, but they're loosely based out of Scotland. So I, and, and the client for the project that I'm working with them on is in Edinburgh. So I said, Hey, if I came over for UK Fest and stayed longer, do you guys want some FaceTime other than the video chats that we do? Um, and they were like, Ooh, actually that'd be great. So that made the trip worth it for me, um, to spend a couple of days with them doing some planning and, and sketching and what have you. So, yeah. And do you do the, do you do the, the, the video chat stuff a lot with your clients since they are pretty much everywhere? You know, um, I do with this particular project we do, it seems like about weekly or something like that every 10 days at the most. Um, and I, I love it. And I, they're the only ones I do it with. I do phone calls with other people, but I, I really like the video chat thing. Yes. I have to make sure that I'm up and showered, you know, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, (laughs) but like, I don't know. It's just to be able to like actually watch somebody's facial expressions and, and have a, you know, it almost feels like you're having an in-person meeting and it, I think it helps the project a lot. So, um, I might see if I can, um, institute that on other projects as well. What's the, what's the video chat tool of choice? Uh, we use, uh, zoom, I think. Yep. Zoom's pretty popular. Yeah. Kevin and I, Kevin and I do a couple times a week in the afternoons. We do the keep each other company since we're both remote workers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I should get in on that. (laughs) Yeah. We're scheming. We're we're trying to come up with some kind of network. So stay, stay tuned for that. So, in your travels, well, first of all, wait a second. I got to go back to this too. So you talk to those guys in Edinburgh yep. and what time do you have to get up to talk to them being on the West Coast? Yeah, uh, we do. It's 8 a.m. for me. Um, so it's 4 p.m. Oh, that's them. not bad. So it's it actually oh. is fine. But then it, when we were out having drinks one night when I was there and I mentioned that I wasn't a morning person. So they were all like, oh, no, we're so sorry. And I'm like, no, it's really fine. If you had called for 6 a.m. meetings, I might squawk a little bit. But 8 is reasonable. <laughs> so I always so, feel that actually yeah. because there's been some meetings Friday. So it's 8 a.m. Friday and it's 4 p.m. Friday afternoon. And I was like, I'm so sorry for having an end of the day Friday meeting. Because actually one of the guys is um, 
in Eastern Europe. So he's an hour ahead of that even. So five o'clock on oh, Friday, wow. he's like on a video chat with me. And I'm like, I'm really sorry. Are you drinking a beer while we're chatting? Because I would not judge. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Oh. So truth, do you like go back to bed after that 8 a.m.? call or I or do don't just actually, kick it in for the day yeah I am um even though I'm not a morning person if I can get myself up I am actually most productive between probably 7 and 10 a.m um it's as the day goes on that it I start failing so oh I, how do you wrestle with that not being a morning person but being more most productive in the morning I, yeah, I don't know. Right now I'm trying to capitalize on jet lag. Um, so actually today is the first day that I actually slept till seven. Uh, this whole week I've been up at like between 3.30 and five probably, depending on the day. But um, And are you like know. starting the grind at that time now or just languishing? No, I'm still languishing, but it's, I languish anyway in the morning. So like it gets it out of the way earlier so I can start <laughs> earlier, you know, if that makes sense. So um, I actually, well, let's see, I got home last Saturday. My luggage just made it yesterday. So like, oh, it, no. it, yeah, yeah, it came to, they dropped it off super early. And um, so I used that time. I was awake anyway. So I was able to get all my laundry done and through and put away and organized. And then I was able to go to work at like a reasonable hour. So, um, trying, trying to use that in my favor. It's the winter is harder cause it's so dark up here. Um, it's definitely easier in the summer. The sun comes up at like four 30. So it's easier to get up at like six or seven and start working. But what happened to your luggage? <laughs> okay. So this is just a pro tip. Um, I usually carry on no matter how long my trip is. I, I travel a lot fairly decent at, at packing and, um, being able to carry on for trips. And, um, uh, in, when we left, I flew out of Edinburgh back to, um, Vancouver and with a connection in London and the Edinburgh flight was just chocker box full. So they were begging for volunteers to check their bags. And I was like, I don't really need anything in my bag. Anything of importance is mostly in my backpack. Like I'll just check whatever. I also had a really tight turnaround at London Heathrow. So I thought, ooh, that'd be easier, you know, getting through security if I don't have this roller bag with me. Exactly. So I checked it through to my final destination, um, get to London Heathrow, found out our, my flight had been delayed by two hours anyway. So I unexpectedly had way more time. So I'm like, whatever, I could have had my bag. Um, I get to the Vancouver airport, had just cleared passport control and I hear my name called. And I was like, that is never a good sign. <laughs> so I go up to the baggage desk and he's like, yeah, London Heathrow just found your bag. And I was like, but I'm here. He's like, yep. <laughs> okay. That was, that so. was nice that they reported it missing for you though. <laughs> Yes. And I didn't have to wait there for an hour until the dregs of the bags came out on the carousel. But um, yeah, but it took four days to make it to me, which I was less than thrilled about. But at least I got it. <laughs> I guess that's that's a good thing. But I told I uh, maybe I shouldn't name the airline I flew on, but I told I because, you know, they're, they probably listen. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> Because all in all, I've had decent experiences on this airline. Um, sometimes not great. They've 
um, I, I'm also like a non-dairy vegetarian eater. So I always have to request special meals and they have quote unquote lost my meal a couple of times. So like when you're on a 10 hour flight, that's pretty painful when you can't eat anything. <sighs> um, anyway, that's, that's a different story, but, um, uh, I forgot what I was going to say, but, oh, I tweeted at them and I, I hesitated because somebody once told me, um, a company that I was, I was talking to about work. They once told me that they refuse to get on Twitter because they've been told that everybody just uses it to fire complaints at you. And I was like, okay, well I use Twitter for more than that, but I do fire off complaints a lot on Twitter when I'm not happy with the company. So okay, I get it. I've so heard I most people get responses though. So I think it's an effective way. I, I agree because it's public, which is why I did it. And I try to be nice. I just told them that was very uncool that I volunteered to check my bag and they didn't make an effort to get it to me when they have four hours to get it on my connecting flight at London Heathrow. And they're like, yeah, that was pretty uncool. Um, do you have a case number for it already? Otherwise, we can help you out. And I was like, okay, that's not the point. <laughs> like, so it seemed like not- they were going to help you out and it seemed like they were being cool on Twitter, but then no, not so much. Not so much. <laughs> They're like, okay, glad, glad you have a number for it. And I was like, no, that's beside the point. I want my bag here now, like now. <laughs> so, I can't believe I, it I took so long. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think it's because I flew into Vancouver, Canada, and I live in the States. And so it had to go. It came the next day into Vancouver, but apparently bags can't clear customs without a person or something in Vancouver. So then they had to send it to Victoria, where it could clear customs. And then from Victoria, they sent it to Seattle. And then I'm pretty sure from Seattle, they put it in a canoe or something and canoed it up the coast to Bellingham. I'm not quite sure because I lost track of it in Seattle and it just took forever to make it all the way to my hometown but i hope everyone just got that same great visual (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then i got a phone call at 6 30 in the morning from the guy saying i'm here with your bag can you let me in because i live in a like a gated community so and i was like oh Okay, well, good thing I was up and like wow. heard my phone ring because who shows up at six thirty in the morning to drop off a bag? Like, I don't know. It's just it was kind of a crazy. So, pro tip: don't be the volunteer schmuck that volunteers to check your bag when they're calling out for them because unless you have unless you have a direct flight, if you have a connection, I would recommend against it. But yeah. if you have a direct flight, it should be okay. But. Wow. So that was yeah. obviously not a great trip back. <sighs> no, uh, no, because then we were also two hours delayed um, due to, I think, mechanical failure on something. But although on, on the flip side, we got a newer plane. So that was nice. That is good. I was going to say, I would not want to ride in a plane um, that far that just had a repair no, done to it. I know, right? <laughs> no, really, yeah. it's all good. And it's- <laughs> Yeah. And it's funny because I do love to travel so much, but I am not a huge fan of flying. Like it, it makes me nervous. It's car accidents and plane crashes are like two of my biggest fears. Probably (laughs) like all these mental images that go through my head. I'm like, every time I get on a plane, I said, well, this is probably it. Such a terrible attitude to have, but. (laughs) Hey, but at least you get in there and you feel like you've got your boxes checked and you're like, I'm good with it. True. True. I'm trying to check my boxes anyway. I'm um, pretty okay with where I'm at in life. So, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's good. So, let's talk about some of your favorite places you've been. So, you do travel a lot. 
but I just yeah. found out this not liking to fly part. That's new. So, um, but yeah. what are some of your favorite places or what's your favorite place? Uh, I don't really do favorites. Um, it's usually whatever place I was last is turns out to be my favorite. Erica, they're not your um, kids. You can say you like one place better than the other. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I know. Uh, generally, the places that I like more are the places that I have spent longer. So um, I, re- I really have a heart for Scotland. I lived in Glasgow for a couple of years. Um, I got my master's degree at Glasgow Uni. So you, I really got a chance to like learn the culture and meet the natives and, and really kind of embed myself there. Um, um, however... Uh, along with um, the Pacific Northwest, Scotland has terrible weather in terms of it just rains all the time and it really gets me down. So that is why I eventually left Scotland. I couldn't take the rain anymore, which when people hear that, they just laugh because I'm from the Pacific Northwest. Exactly. They're like, Doesn't it rain there? And I was like, yeah, but it's different. Um, it's getting better though, right? Even though climate change is a hoax. Um, our summers are getting better. They're getting hotter and more sunny. Um, our winters, I I haven't got a beat on that yet because we've had some super mild sunny winters. And then like last year we got a ton of snow, which is unusual for us because we're on the coast. So we tend to get more temperate weather, but, um, I actually really like the snow, so I don't mind that. That excited me. So as was, long as it sticks to snow and not rain. That's was there great. any snow left when you got back? Because it snowed while we no. were in London. Okay. Yeah. No, it was all gone. We've had this last week, we've had massive windstorms and just rain. And it's been terrible. So, yeah. I, I shouldn't admit this, but I've started putting the twinkle lights around the windows in preparation. I usually try to wait till after thanksgiving before i do stuff like that but it's just so dark and i needed a little cheer how dare you break out the christmas decorations okay but on that note edinburgh is like all decked out in christmas stuff um because they don't have thanksgiving because that's an american holiday right so they go straight from halloween and into christmas and so it was hard like being around all the festive christmas lights or whatever and then you come home and it's just like darker than dark here and dreary and the wind is howling and so yeah so i'm starting a little early this year i'm sorry but um (laughs) yeah anyway back to favorite places (laughs) um I, okay, I'm going to lump a whole continent in. I love Europe. Like, I will go anywhere in Europe as a drop of a hat. And I don't, I'm, I'm sure, like, I love Scandinavia, um, particularly Norway. It's just also not so great with the weather. I seem to be attracted <laughs> to these northern places. Yeah, you say you don't like, like it because of the weather, but apparently you do. I know. I know. Um, it was so funny. I actually mentioned at Co-Garden last year, which is in Denmark, so Scandinavian place. Um, I was talking to a Swedish guy and I mentioned that I wanted, I would love to move to Norway. And he just laughed at me and said, why? I said, it's just so beautiful there. And he's like, well, when have you visited there? And I was like, only in June. So I've had decent weather. So I've never exactly the flip side. Yeah. So (laughs) I know they get longer, drearier days than we do, but it's beautiful. If you haven't been to Norway, you should definitely go and go in the summer. I, unless you want to see the Northern Lights, which is on my bucket list too. Um, and is that primarily a winter thing or like, okay, so I'm so, I'm so yeah, ignorant of so many things. It has, be, 
<laughs> it has to be dark, right? I think it, it goes on year round, but you can't see it because um, the sun. So my first time in, in Norway, it was like the height of summer. So it was, and I went up, um, I have family actually in Trumsa, which is way far north in Norway, up in the Arctic Circle. And so it was 24 hour sun and it was just so wow. disorienting, amazing. <laughs> Yeah. So it was, it was kind of crazy because, um, I was staying with my family. I, I call them my cousins, but I think it's my mom's cousin twice removed or something. I can't remember the family connection, but, um, you know, so she's like more my mom's age and, you know, we'd be sitting on the couch chatting with the family or whatever. And she's like, let's go chase the sun. So we'd like leave at like midnight or something and go quote unquote, chase the sun around the islands or whatever. Cause it right. comes down to the horizon, but it's still like light out. And, um, yeah, so we'd like drive around the islands for a couple hours and we get home at like two in the morning or something like that. And I'm just like dead tired. And I'll, I would sleep till, I don't know, 11 or noon the next day, but she'd be up at like eight or nine baking a cake for her church group or something. And I was like, oh, shoot. Um, should I go up to help you? <laughs> like, you know, here's the young one that's just like, I need to sleep. And she's just up carrying on so it was it was super cool um to see that so yeah i'd love to go back there in the winter to see the northern lights um, be cold 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 since you're so far north yeah it'd be super cold i would probably have to uh mentally justify buying uh new winter clothes for myself i think you would i think it wouldn't even be (laughs) mental justify. i think you probably required to (laughs) right authentic gear Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So do you ever get south of the equator? I I do. Um, not often, though. Um, let's see. Well, last year I went to Australia and New Zealand. Um, oh, that's right. And that was amazing. And actually, um, if I were going to move abroad, New Zealand is probably top of my list of places to move. It was just awesome. I loved it. <laughs> Are they are they cool with letting outsiders come in, or is that a, um, a tough sell? I I know that um, was that earlier this year. I think it was earlier this year. Uh, Wellington actually did a call, a worldwide call for um, tech people, because Wellington is um, kind of the tech quote unquote capital of New Zealand, I guess. Um, so they were actually headhunting the world to bring in. Um, tech people and I was got really excited about it because how they worded it they're like every you know every uh, what is the word I'm looking for um, help me out <laughs> every niche niche is not the right word I want but every discipline in the tech industry so I'm like oh sweet they must be wanting like designers as well and um, but then their system was down for a while so I couldn't register and then by the time I was able to register it was like at the end of the call and I started reading through like what they wanted and they wanted like IT people so I'm like um, right that's not every they wanted a hardcore tech <laughs> yeah I was like okay whatever but um, yeah so I as a as a freelancer I'm not I'd have to hire an immigration lawyer probably um which is fine or i could try to get a job at a company and then they would sponsor you so it would make it yeah i was looking for looking at property in huddersfield i would love to but you just can't pick up and move isn't that beautiful there yeah but you just can't pick up and move that's the part that sucks yeah i and i'm kind of a huge 
proponent of just open borders. I know that scares people, but if you really like my background's in economic development. And so like, if you really look at the, the economics of what that would mean for the world, like you might get an initial influx of people fleeing certain countries and entering other countries. But like, I, th- I think in the end, like if you could wait it out long enough, it would totally even out and, and it would totally stabilize. Yeah. And it, countries wouldn't be flooded and then you'd be able to just go wherever you wanted. Like, I just feel like it's weird just because I was born in the States. That means I have to live in the States. I mean, I know it doesn't mean I have to live in the States, but like it's really hard not. I don't know to, how people do it. Yeah. I don't know how people do it, to be honest. And maybe I just haven't looked into it hard enough, but crazy. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So you talked about uh, economics. So is that what your master's is in? Yes, I have a master's in economic development. Yeah. And why did you go to Glasgow for that? Glasgow. Um, I wanted a non-U.S. perspective. Um, I don't really like U.S. foreign policy. I don't agree with it. Most of the time, um, so I wanted a I wanted a different perspective on how other countries look at foreign policy and how they look at uh, development in in other countries around the world. Um, so that was my main criteria for that. So I applied to a couple schools um, and ended up at at Glasgow University for that. What are some of the other places that you applied? Um, the other one, I, it was just one other place. It was University of Kent, which is an English school, but they um, their program was actually located in Belgium, um, which I thought would be super cool. And it was because it was an um, English school, the program was in English, and um, Belgium is the capital of the EU. So I thought that would be cool. But the reason I didn't pick that one is because um, there was a... Um, Gosh, this was a long time ago. So I don't know what the platform was, but it was kind of like a a chat platform forum or whatever where prospective students or anybody in the program that year could, you know, like meet each other before they actually met each other. And like these people were so pretentious in in the chat room. They were just like spouting off all their nerdy books that they've read and the things that they've done. And I was like, these are not my people. (laughs) So... Um, yeah, so I was like, I, well, it's good that you got that preview. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I think I might have been, I might have been uncomfortable. I mean, these were like, I don't know, because at the time, like my heart was really at, like, I, I had to save the world mentality. I still do in some ways, but, um, you know, I wanted to work for nonprofits, um, essentially, you know, and how do we bring clean water into villages in Africa that need it? Or how do we, um, how do we set up microloans for women, you know, so they can um, stabilize their families and raise their children. And, and, you know, all these people were uh, in the Belgium program were probably more of the want to be the powerful politicians and whatever. And I was like, yeah, that's not, it's not me. So um, I met some really good people in Scotland. So I, I think that was the wise choice. That's cool. Yeah. So how does that, how does that economics masters, like how does that bridge to UX UI running my own company? It totally doesn't. Um, I, uh, gosh, how did I make that jump? Um, I worked uh, in an office before I went to grad school and we had an in-house designer and it was a woman actually. And she was 
awesome. And we had the same um, Myers-Briggs personality type, um, if anybody's familiar with that. And um, we just totally clicked. I spent a lot of time in her office just chatting with her. And I had never really heard of like the whole web design industry. Like it's just not something that occurred to me because this was a long time ago. And so I guess that just percolated in the back of my mind and I went off to grad school and then um, um, wanted to stay in Scotland longer. So I was looking for jobs and um, this goes back to the whole visa thing. I had a legit visa to work there and to be there for X amount of years, um, but nobody wanted to hire me because I was American and they just didn't want to take that on. I'm like, but I have a visa. And they're like, yeah, but it expires in two years. And then what do we do? And I'm like, how do you know this is going to work out for two years? And anyway, I just, I had a hard time finding a job. So, um, I, I don't know. I just, I was still thinking about that web design, um, thing. And I, um, got on lynda.com. I don't know if anybody's heard of that, but it's, um, they have tutorials on just about everything these days, I think. Do you know that, did you know that that got bought by LinkedIn now? Oh, I didn't. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's all part of, it's part of LinkedIn learning now. Wow. That kind of makes me like it less. Uh-huh. Anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was great at the time. I don't know. So I started teaching myself how to code HTML and CSS and how to use Photoshop and, um, when I decided to move back to the States, I took um, some additional classes just at the community college, um, learning more about the Adobe suite um, because it's really robust and, and I was finding it hard to learn on my own. I needed a little direction. Um, and then after that, I went out and I got a job and it just it clicked um, more so than the economic development stuff was Um uh, I don't know. I, I just struggled with that. So how one. did you land that first, how did you land that first like design tech gig? Um, like just fill, fill out the application and kind of, uh, not really. No, I, <laughs> let's see. How did, um, the program director at the community college emailed me, um, and said, Hey, I heard this agency is looking for someone you should apply Um, And I said, okay. And I thought that was great because um, I was kind of an anomaly at the community college because I wasn't actually doing the program. I'm like, I already have two degrees. Like, I don't feel like I need an AA and graphic design or whatever. So can I just take the classes? And they're like, okay, that's really weird. But yeah, as long as they're not full, you can take them. But I guess they really liked me because when they reached out to me and said, hey, we heard this agency is hiring. You should apply. And I said, okay. So I applied. And then they were like, yeah, we're not hiring. And I was like... Okay. (laughs) And then the community college reached out again and said, Hey, one of the people from the agency that we told you about is giving a presentation at the community college. You should come. So I said, okay. So I went and I listened to the presentation and then I went up to her afterwards and I introduced myself and I said, Hey, I applied for a job. I thought there was a job, but you told me there wasn't, but I just wanted to meet you face to face. So you knew who I was. And she's like, great. That's awesome. Um, didn't hear from them. Um, so I started to try to freelance, but I like, I, I was new in the industry, right? I had no contacts. So it wasn't going very well. Um, plus I'm an introvert. And so I was like, that whole cold calling thing was just like, um, no. Um, so it was, it was, 10 months later and they called me and they said, Hey, we have a job opening. Do you still need a job? And I said, yep, I do. And I worked there for six years. (laughs) So 
yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of strange how that came about. Um, and then That's if, amazing. I could, if I could pivot that, I met through that job, I met Janae and Kyle and together, um, two and a half years ago, we launched Script, which is an Umbraco community magazine online, Script.io. Um, and so we, I uh, curate, um, articles, um, about the, uh, about Umbraco or about the tech industry or maybe their lifestyle articles. Um, and we publish them for the Umbraco community for a, for a knowledge sharing kind of platform. And that's monthly, right? And that is monthly. We release, um, the first Tuesday of every month. And then we also have a newsletter that we're trying to build subscriptions to, um, uh, so we, um, send that out twice a month actually. So you'll get one when there's, um, a release and it's just a reminder that there's new articles and here's a snippet. Um, and we also do a, a roundup of other things going on in the community. Um, whether they're other blog articles that people have written or videos or new packages for Embraco, as well as like, um, any upcoming festivals and, um, Braco trainings. Um, so we do that twice a month. Um, once with the release, we have that in there and then we do a mid month one just for, um, kind of a latest roundup of the goings on in the community. So, um, it's pretty cool. It's been, um, it's been an interesting ride because it's a, a side project for us. And so, um, trying to allocate enough time to it so it grows, but, but then we also have day jobs <laughs> as well to pay the bills. Um, so, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a good project though. It keeps, keeps me plugged into the Umbraco community, especially since I'm not, um, a developer. So, um, I don't know. helps me. Stay so how does, involved. so how does that start? Like you, Kyle and Janae are sitting around one day and somebody says, Hey, we should start a magazine. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Um, actually we, um, the agency that all three of us worked for, uh, we spun up the North American Umbraco festival and ran that for the first two years. And, um, the UK festival, they have such huge success and like, but they're a small country, right? So it's easy to hop on a train and go for a one day festival. And, um, I think it was after the first year of the North American one, Kyle and I were talking and we're like, how do we like, it's so hard to ramp up for the U S or the North American festival. Um, and it's hard to keep people's interests and, and draw them out because we have such a big country and it's such a long ways to go and justifying that to your boss is really hard. And so we were just, uh, kicking around ideas on, on how to kind of keep people's interests the year round. So, uh, we wouldn't have as hard of a time, um, you know, pumping people up for the next festival. And, um, script was born. We, we've kind of modeled it after a list apart in a lot of ways, um, because they also have an event apart and they have a book apart and they have this whole suite of things that they do. So, um, that was really our inspiration is to tie in like magazine and useful articles with, um, being able to advertise about, um, the festivals and stuff. So, um, it's a lot easier to advertise for, um, the, the North American festival or even the UK festival. Cause all three of us went to that. So it's easy for that, but I do struggle with the other festivals that I don't go to, like <laughs> trying to right. connect with them and make sure that they get the same amount of attention as, as the ones that I do go to. It's kind of a struggle. And, um, 
work in progress. But I feel like um, the momentum's building, though, and a lot of the other festivals are getting on board with reaching out to you guys and I, saying, hey, we'd love so to too. be in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the UK Fest, they were definitely, they've definitely been the best about like contacting us. And it always makes it easier when they contact us. But not a lot of people do. We, we still have to go out and contact a lot of people for writing articles or, or you know, um, we try to do like a little on the mid-month newsletter, we try to do like a little mini feature of something too. Um, and that's, again, always easier when people reach out and say, hey, I have this idea and I want some publicity. And we're like, great, let us help you out for that. Um, but it's me trying to get th- these things on my calendar so I don't forget about them, I think. And, and I get about enough ramp up time for them to produce something um, and get me something to put in the newsletter. But um, I'm trying. <laughs> so and you've I written. Like I failed. You've written for I've it written. too, right? You have not failed, yeah. by the way. You're doing great. Oh, I feel like I failed at the end of this year, um, kind of. But um, yeah, I feel like I draw, I got busy. So I feel like I, I've dropped the ball a couple of times, but we are trying, like I said, it is a volunteer. We are self-funded, um, and it's a volunteer thing. So it's, um, yeah, <laughs> it's hard. And how many articles have you written for script? I've, I've written two. And what were those about? Um, oh, what were they about? Um, uh, let's see the six, the, the first one was the, I called it the six degrees of separation. Um, and I think that was when we first launched the three of us each wrote an article, the first three months is kind of an introduction of who the editors are, who's behind it kind of thing. So, um, I think that was just more about like, um, the connections that I've made in my life due to my travels and the people that I've met and, and how those connections just kind of play out and influence your life. I think that was more or less what it was about. So that was definitely kicking off Um, the lifestyle aspect then of the magazine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the other one I wrote, I think I wrote one in January of this year. Um, and it was kind of a ramp up for festivals cause there were, I don't know, three Umbreco festivals, I think at the beginning of the year. Um, then there's code garden in the summer and then there's like two or th- no, I think there's three, three or four festivals in the fall. Um, so it was, it was kind of a piece on, why they're important, why you should go to them. Also because it was in the ramp up of the North American festival, because <laughs> that was in March this last year. Um, but, and um, how to justify it to your boss and how to get them to send you. Um, and I picked up tips from that actually from um, UIE. If anybody's heard of that uh, organization, user interface engineering, I think um, they do a series of articles like that too. How to how to talk your boss into letting you go. They are one of the most expensive conferences that yeah. I've ever seen. My boss is a and huge I fan. Was, <laughs> yeah, I was actually able to go a couple of years ago. It blew my mind. It totally changed how I run projects and how I do things. Like it was amazing, and to me, it was worth every penny. Um, but I had I. I took their blog posts and I wrote out an email, this really long email, and I did all the costs out and said, this is what it's going to cost you. This is why I think it's important. This is what I'm going to give back to the company after I get back and all the things that I'm going to do to share all the knowledge that I gained and how I justify my costs. And my boss at first said, no, no, 
Like, no. Um, but then came back two weeks later and said, yeah, okay. And so I was like, oh my gosh, it worked. <laughs> so I kind of took that and umbracified it and turned it around to the Umbraco community say, hey, this worked for me. And Umbraco festivals are s- substantially less right. <laughs> money to go to. So um, you should just go. So... I don't know if it worked. I don't know if anybody reads us, but actually, interestingly enough, um, cause I also did that for year two for the North American festival and I put a bunch of information out like that too. And, um, Umbraco picked it up. Yeah. I feel like I remembered that. Yeah. Yeah. They, they picked that up and, um, put their own spin on it and, and did that. So, yeah, I think that's good. Any, I mean, people need tools to help them justify these expenses to their their company. So I think that's I think that's great. Oh, especially but if you're a first time, decided. like if you're going to a conference yeah. for the very first time, you have no idea how to tee it up with your boss. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so. you've also presented at conferences around the world. Basically, I guess you you can definitely see you're yes. an international, a global speaking sensation. Um, yes. So we'll, I don't know about sensation, but well, <laughs> definitely we'll, a global. We'll just go ahead and throw that <laughs> international speaker. My friends right. are amazing. <laughs> We're going to say you're a global speaking <laughs> sensation. Um, Perfect. So, what are some of the topics that you've spoken on? Um. Okay. Uh, so the, the two most near and dear to my heart, um, I did 2016, um, at co-garden and also 2016 at, um, U West fest. Um, and they were similar, but different, but they were, they were about, um, in- inclusivity. So the one at U West fest was more, uh, general in terms of being inclusive to, um, women and people of color, um, in the tech industry. Um, and then, um, I was approached by HQ to, to revamp that and to do a women's only version for co-garden, um, which turned out to be harder than I thought it turned into kind of a completely separate talk instead of being able to cannibalize some of the work I've already done. Um, but, it always, um, it always I, goes I, that I, way. you think you can just dial off one and be like, halfway done? no, never works. Yeah. Someday I want to get to that level where I can just reuse um, one of my talks because I put so many hours into them. I, I treated them like research projects and, and research papers and like, I, I think they turn out pretty awesome. Um, and, and I also learned a lot from them too. And it's, it's a very sensitive topic to be presenting to a predominantly male audience. Cause I, I didn't want to feel like I was male bashing, but at the same time I wanted to say, listen guys, there's, there's a problem. Um, in, in the tech industry and it's not even just the tech industry, it's in society to be honest. Um, but to make it more relatable, obviously I was going to talk about the tech industry, but, um, there's a problem. There's a problem on, on how we speak to each other. There's a problem um, still with the good old boys club kind of thing. Um, and there's a problem with how we write our job advertisements and we use um, more male language um, when writing those. And, and, and so women are choosing to self-select out of the job pool. Um, one of the excuses that I hear a lot is like, well, I would hire a woman, but we just don't get any of that apply. And, and so that makes me stop and say like, well, how are you writing your job advertisement? And then did you ever think that it was something that you're doing on your end while there's no women applying? Because there are women out there in this industry. There are really smart women out there. Um, so I, I, I both talks were presenting a case for, um, 
what your ROI would be if you had women on board in, in your companies. Um, and, and then what are some of the things that are holding us back, um, from getting to that level? So, um, I got, I got a lot of support after both of those. Um, but I got a lot of pushback as well, um, which is to be expected, but I, I can't say that I wasn't disheartened by it at the same time because, I, I, even I feel like I have to justify my, my job and what I do, um, to people. And I know, I know men say that to me as well. Um, but it's not to the same level because I have, I have witnessed some really bad pitches by, um, men, but then they're like, Oh, let's just go play golf. And then they come away with, um, you know, hundred thousand dollar deal. And I, I can't do that. If I do a pitch and no matter how good it is, I still probably won't win the job. Right. <laughs> Which is probably again, why I'm approaching my business the way that I am and trying to get in with agencies and developers. So I'm not actually pitching projects. I might be pitching my portion of the, of a greater project, but I'm, I don't have to pitch the whole project. Um, <laughs> Which is unfortunate. Now, the, the pushback but that you got, though, it was from men, right? It wasn't from women that were in the crowd. Yes. And the push. No, um, the, like, the women. Go ahead. Uh, the women were actually like, hey, thanks for bringing this up and addressing the elephant in the room. This actually makes me feel more comfortable being in such a minority at this festival. Um, so that was really that was really good. Um, pushback mostly came from men. They just they don't get it. And I, and I get that on the level of, well, you're not a woman, you're never going to be in a situation like I'm in. And so how do you develop that empathy? And it's usually the men that have daughters are the ones that tend to get it because they don't want their daughters treated right. that way. Well, that's the entire um, definition of privilege. Do. The guys were probably coming up and saying, right. well, no, it doesn't really happen like that. We get that too. And da, da, da. well, no, you don't. And, exactly. Yeah. No, you don't. You have no idea. <laughs> No idea. So it was, it was kind of interesting and it's something that I um, would absolutely love to talk about again, but I'm not quite sure how to, how to spin the topic to bring a fresh approach to it, you know? So it's not like, I don't feel like I can just cannibalize the same talk and give it in the same place in a different year. Maybe I can, maybe there's a different enough. Well, but you could always like year, hopefully but, um, add to it and say, Hey, these are things that have possibly changed hopefully for the better, maybe for the worse since the last time I spoke on this topic and, and here's how we can continue to try to make it change. Maybe. Yeah, I have. I haven't seen that happen yet. This is. I mean, it's a. It's a slow moving thing, and um, I hate to bring politics up right now, but I. I feel like with the current U.S. political climate, that's not. It's not helping either. You know, <laughs> it's definitely like not speeding things up. <laughs> no, <laughs> if anything, it's setting us back a little bit. But it's something that I um, will continue to advocate for in in any way that I can. And and if it's just one on one conversations uh, with people, I mean that's that's really great. I think um, one of one of the greatest compliments I had. So I gave this talk in 2016 at Co Garden, um, and I ran into someone 2017 who, who saw my talk in 2016, he's like, Hey, because of your talk, I went out and specifically like looked at what we were doing in our hiring practices and, and whatever. And, and we, we hired some women and I was like, that's amazing. Like, thanks for taking that to heart. Like, it's great. 
Um, so really kind of evaluating how his company was, was searching for people and trying to make a change in that. And, and I, I just thought, I thought that was really great. And that's how so. the world changes one person at a time. And that's, yeah, yeah, it's totally true. It's but slow. I think that we're when there's gonna... 7 billion of us, it's slow, but it, yeah. that's how it changes. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, women can fight for this all they want, but men just hear nagging. So I, I really feel strongly that it's um, men who need to step up and, and lead this at the same time. Um, I don't want women to stop fighting, but um, it, it tends to mean, I and I hate saying this because... Well, it, it, it needs to, when it comes from a man. It needs to be a people voice. It, right. it, it needs to, regardless of your gender or any of that kind of stuff, it needs to be one voice that we've got to level the playing field. Everyone has to right. have an equal shot. Yeah. And right now it's not. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah, for X Y Z reasons, but oh, A B C D X Y Z reasons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I don't. Maybe I maybe I will write a follow up script article on that and try to bring that back around. Definitely, but. it was awesome to find out that that was really meant to be like a, a festival promo reminder vehicle. More than you know, it's really yes. it's blossomed into something yeah. pretty amazing, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been, it's a fun project to be honest. It's, um, we have, but then on the flip side, like there's so much in our want to do queue right now that I think we haven't really moved forward with it much because I think we got a little overwhelmed by how much we want to do. So just do nothing. But that's also to have like, I mean, you got to have a long-term vision and goal. You got to have a a want to do list that you can't accomplish because what happens when you're done with it, then you're kind of like, eh, True. And then it folds. Or we could find a way to monetize it and sell it. No, I don't know. That would... That's an actual uh, recurring theme in a lot of the conversations I've been having is people are trying to find a way to like make money while they sleep. Like that's yes. the whole. Yeah. And everyone's like, I think a lot of us have that as our next. Yeah. Like universally, nobody wants to stay, keep doing the same thing that they're doing right now. No. You know, what's no. the next thing? I want to so. travel just to travel, not <laughs> not travel to work. <laughs> well, but. it sounds like you're almost traveling just to travel right now, and then you just I, pepper I know, it in with a few weeks of, of work to get it's the next true. trip. Yeah, it's true. I, li- I do. I live for my trips. And because I don't have anything concrete planned, like, even though I just got home, I, I start going stir crazy. Like, what am I going to do? I don't have a trip planned. What am I going to do? <laughs> but, focus well, the on only Australia. question, the only question that I haven't asked that's on my show notes is what was Erica like when she was in high school? Because oh, you've geez. mentioned the introverts and all, you know, yeah. we, we've gotten hints of your travel and stuff. So what was Erica like? And as a sophomore through senior in high school um yeah thanks for leaving out freshman year that's just awkward for everybody no that Um, doesn't count yeah (laughs) it's a transition year we don't talk about that year (laughs) i um i was actually despite being an introvert like i was actually uh, pretty popular like i i found my niche i guess and um i had several actually but um i was on the dance team uh so we did halftime shows at the football games and basketball games and um i was in concert choir um and we got to travel for that so i got to go to like disneyland one year for that that was awesome um and then also in the in the honors programs in school so you kind of like you i had my niche and i had a lot of friends and um 
I don't think that I was one of the mean girls, even though I probably was, but, um, <laughs> we were um, all one of the mean girls. I know, kids are just mean. <laughs> yes. But, um, I would like to say that I had, I, uh, I had solid friends and in diverse groups because I, I always have diverse pursuits. Um, so I know people, I know some people view choir as being nerdy and I'm like, whatever, I, I love to sing. So whatever. Hey, awesome. on the flip side, on the flip side, I was on the dance team, which was akin. We were better dancers than cheerleaders. So we were more popular than that respect. <laughs> oh, so, you um, just threw that gauntlet down. <sighs> I did. I did. I'm going to get so yeah. much hate mail, viewer hate mail for that. Yeah. Well, we were pretty damn good. So um, <laughs> <laughs> or we like to think that we were anyway. So, All right. I so know. I realized I didn't ask you about the, the Nashville years and the singing, but I think we're going to save that for I'm going to uh, for uh, next time. <laughs> I always reserve the right to recall a guest. Um, yes. So we've got plenty that we can cover in another episode for sure. The for very sure. last the, Nashville years, <laughs> the very last question that I ask is if, you know, it's totally putting you on the spot, but. Can you think of somebody that we possibly both know that you would think would be a good for a good match for this podcast? You know, so I have been listening to your podcast since you launched. I'm I'm one. Yep. And You're um, the one. I know Thanks. that you asked I, I know I'm the one, the one consistent. <laughs> I know that you asked this and I have just been racking my brain like trying to come up with somebody amazing and I was trying to come up with somebody that you didn't know that I could introduce you to but all the people that I would want to talk to I don't I don't know them either so I don't that'd be an awkward thing um so who I came up with and who came to the forefront of my mind because I just, just spent some time with him is uh Barry O'Kane and I uh no you know him oh yeah um, happy porch yes. radio Barry Happy Porch Radio Barry. Um, and the reason I say that is because he is the one uh, who recently told me that I need to go for a month if I think that I'm going to be able to work. And that's I wonder who that gave finally, you that. Okay. Yeah, it was Barry O'Kane. And he actually splits his time between Scotland and Australia. Um, and so I'm actually interested. He's got more of the digital nomad life thing buttoned down. Um, and um, so I, I just saw him in Scotland, spent some time with him. And so um, picked his brain a little bit, but I would actually like to know more about his lifestyle <laughs> so I can start emulating it. So I will definitely that's, put that's him on the my list. Recommendation. Yeah. I actually just listened to his next, uh, his season three, episode one podcast today. So. Oh, is it out? Yeah, actually, it was out. Um, I think today or yesterday, but yeah. Oh, I uh, thought it was next week. I'll have no, to get on that. Businesses with uh, business, you'll love it because it's uh, agencies with a, a conscious slant, like to make the world better. Oh. So. Oh yeah, I would like that. I would like to be able to blend my save the world mentality, economic development with my digital advertising. <laughs> that would be awesome. So definitely check that out. There's definitely going to be some education then. Cause the first episode was all about how to, you know, how to do that. So very, or Perfect. maybe not how to, but this is how that agency did it kind of thing. So, right. Perfect. All right. Well, we are about an hour and 10 minutes in. How did that feel? <laughs> Uh, pretty, pretty good. I feel like I talked a lot. Nope. That's why you're on. You're on to talk. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I ask the questions you answer and hopefully it's lengthy. So that, that worked out perfectly. Well, I just want to, just want to say thanks again for being on and, uh, we'll definitely do this again. And, uh, do you got anything you want to close out with? 
Um, th- no. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. <And laughs> always happy to be on again. <laughs> All right. Talk to you soon. All right. <laughs> Well, a huge thanks to Erica for joining me on the podcast this week and actually uh, very excited to uh, revisit some of the topics and discuss some new stuff when I have her on the cast again. Uh, Thanks to the podcast sponsor, socialimposter.com. If you have social media profiles and you want to protect your online reputation of those social media profiles and make sure that people are not impersonating you online, socialimposter.com is the place for you. Also, uh, thanks to everyone for listening and let's see if we can uh, share the love and get these subscribes up and get these listens up. Uh, I'm excited to uh, have another podcast coming out next week during the Thanksgiving break and uh, stay tuned for more fun. Thanks. Thanks.